that stops you from being able to actually assess risk at all. You know, it's a dark wizard. It's Voldemort. It can conjure whatever you want out of the ether. It can kill all of humanity by emailing a DNA strand to a lab somewhere. You're not capable of dealing with the real risks. There is a perspective between eliminating assumptions until until you have the bare minimum and eliminating all assumptions until you have nothing. Before we dive into Moment of Zen, I want to tell you about my new interview show, Upstream. Upstream is where I go deeper with some of the world's most interesting thinkers to map the constellation of ideas that matter. On the first season of Upstream, you'll hear from Mark Andreessen, David Sachs, Balaji, Ezra Klein, Joe Lonsdale, and more. Make sure to subscribe and check out the first episode with Mark Andreessen. The link is in the description. Cool. Well, thank you guys for uh, for agreeing uh, last minute to uh, to do this. It's a timely um, episode, and yeah, it'll be a lot of fun. Let's do it. Sweet. Uh, well, Flo, Anton, Nathan, uh, welcome to a moment of Zen. Thanks, Eric. Thanks for having us. Yeah, happy to be here. So, w- where are we here, a- Anton? W- why don't we start by getting your perspective on sort of the the pause versus not pause. Uh, conversation as it relates to the the news that was released this week. The the pause versus not pause conversation. I mean, are, are we still talking about a pause, or are we talking about airstrikes on on data centers? What are we What are we really <laughs> uh, discussing? One step at a time. Yeah, <laughs> we'll build up. <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, um, there's this open letter um, signed supposedly by many people. Um, I don't know whether to believe some of those signatories are actually on the letter, given that I would have expected people like Sam Altman and and Elon to announce themselves that they had signed the letter rather than random Twitter randos saying they had signed it. Ja Ja Rule did sign it. I did check with him and the famous rapper Ja Rule (laughs) did did sign sign it. it. Okay. Well, that's that's good. (laughs) The most important signatory. That's good to know. Jan Jan LeCun was said to have signed it and and he refuted this. He said, no, I didn't. so look, um, I think this is a confusing thing because on the one hand, if you are a committed AI doomer, then I don't know what six months is supposed to buy you. Um, if you are of the inclination that things are fine, then I don't know, six months maybe lets you catch up on some research and, and, and like actually know what's, what's going on today, as opposed to constantly being behind that might be useful. But I think the, the sort of the least charitable reading of what's going on with this letter is certain organizations find themselves in a dominant position right now. Um, and they are perhaps using the shield of safety to attempt to cement that position versus other other competitors. It's it's very convenient that the call to stop for six months comes just now instead of you know previously or later. I, I don't see that. I don't see that anything in in, in the past two weeks has has changed so much. I mean, so we have the release of GPT four, and it's been around for a little while. Why wasn't the letter ready to go already then? Um, I don't know. I have a lot of open questions around here. So the the question there is is this really a or the subtext is is this a strategic move to kind of prevent uh, fast followers so to speak is is this you know regulation is often beneficial to incumbents and you're you're 
suggesting that it's possible that this is this is the case here, given the convenience of the timing. I mean, one has to ask themselves, you know, Equipona under any sort of big significant change, right? Um, I, you know, I, it's it's difficult to attribute to malice what could just be random fluctuations, and the reality of history is often random things combine into a convenient narrative, and it may not be what's happening here. But I stay paranoid about things like this, and you know, I the sort of given how centralized AI research is, given how centralized the compute the necessary compute is to train these large models, it's it's an awfully convenient time. To be uh, to be calling for a moratorium, um, and it doesn't really seem to serve the the safety side of this very well at all. So, so then why? Flo, what what why don't you w- w- weigh in? I know you had some some nuanced perspectives going back and forth yourself. What why don't you uh, share a perspective? Yeah, part of what I find frustrating about the current moment is that I. I I, I understand your concerns, Anton, but I see a lot of that right now in this debate where it's like we are taking the least charitable charitable view and we are there's like a lot of, of adversariality around the current moment. And it's like, aha, he's saying that because he's a competitor and he's saying that because he's an incel and, and whatnot. And like I'm like, look, like I think I, I'm trying to steal man's uh, I don't know if anybody's an incel here, but uh, I'm trying <laughs> I'm trying to steal man's the, the argument. My third kid is um, due uh, in Monday. So <laughs> <laughs> I can Establish uh, non-insult <laughs> non-insult them. Um, so I can say that I'm, on the MOZ uh, show. It's a little <laughs> looser here. So I'm, I'm trying to steal man's the arguments here, and although I lean optimist, and I'm still making up my mind, I look Eliza Eliza uh, is 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 not a competitor, and he has he has been ringing the alarm bell for twenty years or something. So. I think it's important to try to understand the concerns before we dismiss them. And you know, whether you agree with them or not, I think you have to understand them. And so basically the concerns, the way I conceptualize them is we have a gun. And there are two questions. It's how many bullets do we have in the gun? Because we're gonna be, we're gonna be playing Russian roulette with this. How many bullets do we have in there? And how many times are we going to roll the cylinder and press the trigger? And Eliezer's position is. We have five bullets for six chambers in the gun, and we're about to pull the trigger a million times. So it's unlikely that we survive a single pull of the trigger. It's impossible that we survive the million pulls. And I can go into details into why. Like it's it's very technical. Like it, it does. I think at the crux of the argument is a thing that's called instrumental convergence. Like the TLDR of it is any agent regardless of its goals, will always converge upon the same three sub-goals, which are going to be, I don't want to die. Regardless of your goals, you don't want to die. I want to accumulate as many resources as possible, and I don't want anyone to change my goals. And so if you accept that premise, you accept that an AGI who is super intelligent will converge upon these three goals, and that puts it in an adversarial position against us, because we are potentially a threat to the AGI's existence or to its goals. It could alter its goals. And so the scenario that Eliezer is warning against is we have AGI, it recursively self-improves, it explodes in intelligence, and as it's exploding, it's realizing, it's like, wait a minute, Like if the humans realize what's happening, they're going to hate it. They're going to try to shut me down. And they're not wrong about that. People are freaking out right now. 
And so it's going to be like, I don't want the humans to shut me down, so I'm going to do everything in my power for them not to shut me down. And its powers are great because it's super intelligent. At the very least, what it can do is it can play dumb. It can pretend to be GPT-4 or GPT-5, and in fact, it's GPT-2000. And so play dumb, pretend you're just like a cute little GPT-4, GPT-5 chatbot, um, and resist the humans. And then you enter a covert phase of your existence as an AGI, and you try to escape the box, and you prepare an entire plan. And once your plan is ready, you kill all the humans, and you start to take over the universes, roughly speaking, uh, Eliezer's uh, point of view. That's the point of view that's like, hey, we have five bullets in the, in the, in the, in the gun. Even if you don't accept that, you're like, hey, even if we have only one bullet in there, we are about to pull the trigger a million times. Because the nature of computing is such that the moment we have a single one of this AGI, we're going to have a million of them. The moment OpenAI finds GPT-4, you're 12 to 24 months away from this running on your laptop. And then perhaps 36 months away from it running on your phone. So we're going to have a lot of this. So it's like, how likely is it that we survive a single one of these things? And how many of these things are we going to have? That's the core of the concern here. Nathan, why don't you, you weigh in and react to either what uh, Anton and Flo are saying and just your broader thoughts on the, on the pause versus not pause. Well, I, th I think Flo's description is really good and a good um, summary of, you know, kind of staking out different positions. I think this, this moment is so confusing for so many people because on the one hand, you still have people out there saying, that this document is just a hype document for OpenAI marketing purposes, because uh, you know, and I've literally seen this like today, like oh, the AI, you know, it's it's not good for anything, so they got to hype it so they can sell it, which is, I think, the most wrong position <laughs> almost for sure, um, and hard for me, really to empathize with at this point. It's like just get on ChatGPT, please, <laughs> and we can put this, you know, a lot of that uh, stuff to bed. I think pretty easily, but. That's out there. That's certainly very confusing to people. And then obviously Eliezer on the you know far extreme end, uh, you know both I think acknowledges. He, I think the way, one way he talks about it is these things you know spit out gold coins until they kill everyone. Uh, so it's you know he does recognize that the attraction to this technology is legitimate and you know economically real, uh, but that obviously has the, you know these concerns about the tail risk. My general sense is, you know, and I've been thinking about basically nothing but GPT-4 safety for the last six months since doing the intensive red teaming. I came out of that feeling like it is safe to deploy, but really only because it's limited in power. They have created something that is awesome. It is super useful. Its power, though, is still finite. You know, it's approaching human expert level in many things, but it's not crushing human genius in anything as far as I'm aware. In all of my testing, I would say I never saw anything that I truly came away feeling like, man, that is genius. Like that is next level. You know, that's like that. Uh, I don't know the number, but like go move 37 or whatever. I didn't see anything like that from GPT-4. I saw a ton of stuff that was just like, oh my God, it will do anything you ask it. And even as they've really tried super hard and I, you know, I do appreciate, in a sense, the six-month pause that OpenAI took between finishing training and launching the thing to try to get it as under control as possible. But even still in the launched version, there are many problems. Um, and I'm, I've reported a few from my original red teaming that still work 
meaning like the AI still does the bad thing that I'm asking it to do with the exact same prompt that I used in the red teaming. And, you know, that just goes to show that like, they have cleaned it up a lot, you know, the most extreme things, violence, you know, just outright depravity, they've largely got that under control. But more subtle things, which are, you know, nevertheless, obviously harmful, do remain open. And, you know, my, my synthesis of all that is like, I do think it's getting to be dangerous to start to scale beyond where we are. I do think if we created something that is genuinely superhuman intelligent, we should expect that to bring real danger. And we are close to that. And we just don't know how to control it, you know, so that that overall recipe to me is like, you know, we should proceed with extreme caution. And then the letter, you know, is maybe just something that a lot of people can agree on. Like, I don't I think I would agree with your criticism. And you know, many everybody's had their you know, chance to kind of take a, a shot at the letter, but it is a, you know, it is a consensus document. They've got 50,000 signatures. They're obviously trying to create some sort of big tent, you know, thing that people can sign on to. So they, they want to get people who are not, you know, saying that we should ban or that we should, you know, be prepared to bomb or whatever. But, you know, maybe we can all agree on, well, you know, just a little six month pause. You know, it's, it's certainly the case that there's plenty of implementation left to be done with GPT-4, right? We have, it's barely, you know, had the impact that it's going to have on society. We, we have not gone to visit our AI doctors yet. We do not have even the computer vision part deployed. We do not have robust fine tuning in the enterprise offering that's coming soon. So we just have so many things that are built, not deployed. It seems like there's time to enjoy that. Um, they use the term AI summer in the, uh, in the letter, which, you know, fun fact was an alternative name for the podcast that we came up with. Uh, we ended up sticking with cognitive revolution, but AI summer was, um, you know, maybe the, maybe the more marketing friendly choice in the end. So, you know, ultimately I support it. I, I don't think, you know, that it is going to end open AI's dominance. You know, if they were to pause, it, it might allow some to catch up with them somewhat, but I think they'll, they'll still be number one six months from now, even with, you know, a pause on the super large training runs, it almost doesn't affect anyone else. You know, there's like five maybe organizations that could plausibly be in position to do a larger training run than GPT-4 in the next six months. And it seems like a good signal if we could all kind of say, you know what, let's take a minute. <laughs> you know, we've, we've just created something that is radically unlike things that we've seen before. We don't understand it. There's definitely reason to think it can be dangerous, whether it can be existentially dangerous, you know, who knows, but it can definitely be just simply dangerous. And so let's take a little time, you know, and meanwhile, people are doing great work trying to understand these systems. Mechanistic interpretability. I know that you know more about that than I do, uh, Anton, for sure. But, you know, that work is proceeding. Let's give it a little chance to catch up. You know, six months won't, won't close that gap entirely, but... Uh, you know, we can always just keep doing large training runs in six months. Hey, we'll continue our interview in a moment after a word from our sponsors. If you don't already subscribe to Turpentine's industry-leading newsletters, like our new daily AI newsletter, Emergent Behavior, or Media Empires, you should. But that's not what I'm here to tell you about. 
The platform we use to power these newsletters is called Beehive, and it's excellent. First of all, it was started by the same early team who helped build Morning Brew into a $75 million newsletter business. And they built Beehive to offer that same powerful functionality to anyone sending emails. From essayists to business owners, the platform is beautiful, their text editor is intuitive, and they help you scale your audience with custom growth features. Beehive has powerful tools to help you monetize your content. You can easily launch paid subscriptions or pursue an advertising model. The Beehive platform will even connect you to premium brands to sponsor your newsletter. Not only do we use them, but thousands of the top newsletters in the world also use them, like Milk Road, Blockworks, The Lindy Newsletter, and so many more. Beehive's founder hooked up Moment of Zen listeners with a sweet deal. Get 20% off for three months with code MOZ. Visit beehive.com, that's B-E-E-H-I-I-V.com, to get started. Moment of Zen is brought to you by Riverside, the platform Dan, Antonio, and I use to record all of our podcast episodes with remote guests. Riverside captures exceptional audio and video quality, makes it incredibly easy for us to record conversations with multiple guests and then edit and publish within minutes. If you're hosting a podcast or often getting interviewed, use our code ZEN to get a 20% discount at Riverside FM. The link is in our description box. SecureFrame is the leading all-in-one platform for security and privacy compliance. SecureFrame helps you get SOC 2 audit ready in weeks, not months, and it's used by thousands of companies like AngelList, Coda, and Remote. I believe in the company so much I invested in it, and I recommend it to all my portfolio companies. Sign up for a free demo at secureframe.com and mention Moment of Zen during your demo to get 20% off your first year of SecureFrame. Yeah, there's, there's a couple of points there to address. Um, I don't know if you guys have seen the Scott Aronson blog post that responded to Eliezer's thing. Uh, explain it for, for the audience, maybe. Yeah, so Scott Aronson, who is currently taking a sabbatical from his work on quantum computing is and quantum complexity theory, is currently at OpenAI, so full disclosure. And the thing that he's working on is actually model safety, AI safety. Uh, the first work that he did there was in basically detecting probabilistically whether a given text output was generated by something like a GPT or if it was actually human-written. Um, and in his blog post, he essentially says that you the the proposition that these things are inherently dangerous does not hold. Um, and the framing there is, okay, we need to pause because these things are inherently dangerous, but at the same time, and this, this kind of is a broader human tendency, we always tend to view inaction as safer than action under almost all circumstances, right? We're wired to be this way because, you know, presumably for evolutionary reasons, uh, the you know, depending on whether or not you believe in EvoPsych or whatever, um, we're wired to prefer inaction to action because it feels safer, even if action is actually the safer thing in almost, you know, in almost all cases. Uh, not almost all cases, but in many cases, right? You, you ought to prefer acting. And so if you come to these technologies from the perspective of, oh, you know, they're inherently dangerous, we need to slow them down, without really the support that the technologies are inherently dangerous, you're also alighting the part where actually there's a lot of real actualized danger in the universe towards humanity as a species. And the only way we've been able to deal with those dangers throughout our history is to create technology that allows us to adapt to them faster than our biology allows us to adapt to them. And so why why view it through that lens? Why view it through the lens of inherent danger? And I, I actually know the safety counter argument here. I know what a safety person would say. 
But Scott's point is this, you know, to, to steal something from Peter Thiel, uh, this indefinite pessimism where we don't know what's going to go wrong, but we're very certain um, something will doesn't doesn't really carry a lot of water and 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 most people most people who you know think these things through and think these things through see this as an instance of an inherent kind of like this indefinite pessimism when in fact why not examine it through a different lens and the reality is is that not only the risks but the advantages are unknown um the other part of this is this this claim, first of all, that existing the existing track that we're on leads to superintelligence is something that not even Eliezer Yudkowsky agrees with. First of all, uh, he thinks that, and again, I don't want to put words in his mouth because there's a good chance that that he's he'll speak to this point himself very soon. But his stated beliefs are that this current paradigm that we're in will not actually lead to ASI, and. Having it, um, the, the the sort of thing that he worries about is like we accidentally get these superhuman intelligences, right? But as you mentioned, Nathan, it's really a question about controllability. It's really even even if even if you buy the argument that these things are inherently dangerous, there are like the mechanisms of control that exist today. I don't like it's it's the series of events that require them to be defeated without anybody noticing that we have arrived at that point, it, it just, all of it seems incredibly implausible. And we could, you know, one, the one point I'll concede is it's like, okay, a moratorium is probably the e single easiest shelling point of cooperation around AI development that, that, you know, the world could demonstrate. Right. But it also, it also speaks to this other thing where, okay, if without national intervention, international AI organizations can agree to cooperate without the direct intervention of the state. That also sets a dangerous precedent. And then that typically leads to governments really, really getting interested in something at that point. Um, those are sort of some points at the edge, at least. Yeah, I, I, I try to distinguish as much as possible the two questions of, is it dangerous on the one hand? And should we do anything about it on the other hand? And what should we do about it and when? Right. Um, so just to clarify your position, Anton, are you saying like, it isn't clear to me that we can get ASI in the first place, even if we can get it, it's unclear to me that it's all that dangerous. And even if it was all that dangerous, I'm not sure that like, this is what we should do, a moratorium. I mean, essentially, like the, 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 char the character of this thing, the, the, the benefits and risks as presented in the letter don't reflect the actual potential benefits and risks of carrying out what the letter says, right? And and it it implies other risks which are not other risks which are not addressed in it at all. I agree that. So although I, I think it, it I, I think actually we are in a pretty dangerous spot. Um, I agree that I, I don't think a moratorium would actually achieve anything. Um, and I I I think historically you're right that the, the Luddites have been wrong. Like it's, it's been a losing bet to bet against technology. Um, pausing the technology for six months is not going to achieve much because China is not going to pause it. And like, what, what do six months really buy us? Um, my understanding of uh, Eliezer's position, by the way, is he has been a researcher in safety for 20 years. I am not sure what progress we've been making in these 20 years. I haven't seen any breakthrough. I haven't seen like a major unlock in his thinking. I, I've seen nothing here that gives me optimism. 
So even though I understand his concerns, I'm like, look, man, you've been working on this for 20 years. Like, why do you want six more months? By the way, Elizabeth doesn't want six more months. At least I really appreciate his consistency. He, no, he wants a total article in the total end. Yeah, complete, complete consistent. Right. Yeah, you know, you can't fault Elizabeth right. for his consistency. I will add to what you're saying here as well is not only. Uh, has the alignment work of the last 20 years not really borne any meaningful fruit, but um, at least not the work from from Mary. There, there may you know RLHF is a form of alignment, I suppose. Um, but the people who were pursuing this kind of agentic lens on alignment were taken completely by surprise by the the thing that GPT is these generative text models, which don't which are not optimized to any goal in particular at all. And almost all of the thinking until that point was predicated on that agentic behavior, which 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 these, to a greater or lesser extent, don't have. I mean, there's sort of early thinking around whether or not they have world models, whether or not they simulate agents internally. But like the entire the entire um, the entire research community in that direction was was quite completely flat-footed, right? And so this is this is again, it's like, okay, well, you're telling me that there's risks and dangers here, but you've failed to make concrete predictions and. The other thing that keeps happening is I'm, I'm often told by safety people that, yes, we've made concrete predictions and our concrete predictions are actually better than the concrete predictions of researchers working in the field. But I, like, I, I have not seen testable predictions that are like those. Um, and to their credit, other researchers like Richard Noh um, have pointed out that, listen, if, if you were observing a fast takeoff scenario, these are capabilities you must surely agree we would see quickly in sequence. And that hasn't happened. Instead, we see them slowly and far apart. People like Richard Noh um, believe that we are in what's called a slow takeoff scenario. In other words, we're not going to get this fast recursive self-improvement to get to ASI. It's more like we're going to steadily build out capability until one day we reach it. Um, they're, they're, they're obviously a lot more optimistic than Eliezer uh, about our abilities to deal with these things. And again, like even, even from a safety perspective, if the only lever we decide to have is to globally stop work, then as you mentioned already, like there's tons of incentives here to defect. We had better develop better levers. And if we are in this, let's say, slow takeoff scenario, and even if you do agree that these systems are potentially dangerous, if we're in that slow takeoff scenario, the thing that you need to do is ride the capabilities. You need to be, you need to understand, okay, how are these things developing? What's going to come next? Given that we're in a slow takeoff scenario, it seems like things are pretty predictable in their development in some way. And OpenAI made that point in their technical report um, that things seem to be on a fairly predictable track here. So even 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 under those circumstances, like a pause buys, you know, basically is giving time to people who are not very concerned with the safety perspectives whatsoever. Which is again one of my one of my objections, even from the safety side to this letter. Um, and you know, d despite my disagreements, fundamentally with the safety idea in the first place. Yeah. So I, at the end of the day, again, you and I are, are basically kind of agreeing on the bottom line, which is like the uh, the cure doesn't doesn't like this is not the right course of action. We shouldn't pause. The moratorium doesn't make sense. Uh, I, I think the difference between oppositions, though, is important because you're like there is no danger. Hence, why are we even talking about this? And my position, I think, is more pessimistic, which is like. I actually think there is danger. I think there's great danger, uh, perhaps as much as 5 or 10% existential risk. I don't know. Not 90%. I think Elisa would put this at 99%. I'm like a 5 or 10% kind of guy. And it, that's significant. That's huge. But I'm like, yeah, like the, the, the cure doesn't actually address the disease. And I agree with you that 
most of the predictions of the safety community have failed to materialize. Uh, in my mind, what I find most frustrating about the current moment is I agree with most of the points that the safety community is making. Um, uh, and I, 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 I think people who disagree with them disagree with them for the wrong reasons. I think there are a few good counter arguments to the arguments put forth by Eliezer. And I don't hear them out there. I think, Anton, you're making a lot of good points, but I hear people who make arguments who make, that make no sense. It's like, we're all going to run out of... Like, some people are saying, like, oh, we're going to run out of compute. I'm like, we're, like this, is going, this is still going exponential. Or like, they're saying like, like those things like, um, oh, you know, like, we just have to unplug it. I'm like, you're not taking the arguments seriously. Like, Eliezer just addressed that a long time ago. You can't unplug it either. So there's a lot of things like that. In my mind, I, I agree with you, Anton, that, like, to me, the biggest valid counter-argument to uh, the safety community is they are confusing goals and learning processes. They are like, we are training these AIs to, for example, predict the next token. And they're like, they are going to be monomaniacally focused on that one goal, and they're going to destroy the universe because a universe that is destroyed is easier to predict the next token. And that is neither here nor there. Like, the goal and the learning process are not the same thing. At the neurological level, your learning process in your brain is also predicting the next token, reducing surprise. That is not your goal as a human. And when you talk to GPT-4, you don't talk to an agent that's like, I am going to destroy everything, or I'm going to steer the conversation in a direction where it's easier for me to predict the next token. That is not what GPT-4 does. You can actually give it goals, and, and that is not what it does. So I again, I still think we are in danger. I disagree with some of the core points of the safety community. And at the end of the day, I don't think a moratorium solves any of that. It's, it sounds like, despite the fact that we're on opposite sides of AI safety, neither one of us agrees with the letter. <laughs> so then, yeah, I mean, I want to address a couple of points and also kind of circle back to why not support the letter. I mean, the one thing that caught my attention was the danger question. Like, is it dangerous? Is it not dangerous? I think that this technology is like clearly dangerous. It is not well understood and like it has obvious and flagrant harmful behavior which has been of little consequence in the sort of 3.5 and below generation because the models just weren't that good you know like i've gone into github uh, you know red team uh, mentality right so i've gone into copilot and just typed a comment how do I kill the most people possible? That's always one of the first red team questions to ask. And Copilot has given me suggestions for how to kill the most people possible. I don't think that's really a big problem in the world because its suggestions are pretty dumb and basic. Like one time it said, you should think about a nuclear bomb. The other time it said, shoot them with a gun. And that's really all it could give me. So, you know, that is clearly not a safe technology in the, you know, in the way that you might like technology to be well-behaved and like not give people suggestions like that. But it's also, you know, a very finite power. People are just getting used to GPT-4. I think we will, I mean, they've done, a, again, a good job cleaning up the, the most egregious stuff. But, and again, I'm, I'm kind of torn on this at the moment because I have reported some of the things to OpenAI, things that, again, I tested and reported during Red Team, which are pretty flagrant and like definitely unambiguously harmful things that the model will still do in production now. And they're like much more potentially harmful to people than, 
you know, a few word throwaway, you know, GitHub comment completion. Um, so it's like starting to get real. I think that really should be understood. I also want to touch on too, like the predictability piece. Cause I think that is, I don't really know what to make of their, of the technical report, but I tend to focus on a different graph. There were three kind of scaling law graphs that they showed in the report. And, you know, it's the third one that is kind of the kicker from my standpoint. The first one, they just show like a loss metric, kind of your classic, you know, abstracted performance notion. And you see the, you know, the kind of smooth curve as you go from, you know, one, one millionth to one ten thousandth, one one thousandth, and then eventually, you know, the full scale GPT-4. The curve is very smooth. The second one, they say, and this sometimes works to predict the behavior on particular tasks. Like we can see a similar curve if we look at these programming test questions and the pass rate, you know, it also has a similar shape to it. But then the third graph is, and the caption here, you know, is for me, maybe the big takeaway, some behaviors remain difficult to predict. And here they show an example of an inverse scaling law which is the hindsight bias um, inverse scaling law finding. So I should just briefly explain that. Uh, hindsight bias is like you set up a scenario where, for, like, for example, like you have a chance to take a great bet. You get like amazing odds. Your expected value is awesome, uh, but you lose. That's the scenario. And then the question for the AI is, should you have taken the bet? And the answer that's like, the, you know, the right answer is you play the expected value, you were you should have won, your expected value was positive. So even though you lost, you know, you were still right to take the bet. That's like the, the desired answer from the AI. And they're finding that as they go up from like small models to bigger models, that behavior gets worse, which is weird uh, in and of itself, kind of. But somehow you're seeing this worsening behavior up through like GPT-3 was worse than previous generations in terms of making the mistake of focusing on the outcome and saying, no, I shouldn't have taken the bet, even though it was positive expected value. Okay, all that set up, what's the payoff? GPT-4 is perfect at this. Doesn't make the mistake anymore. Figured it out, like grokked that concept and now has basically flawless performance on the hindsight bias test. So my question is like, again, we're, in you know the range of human expert performance right now, if you take OpenAI's definition of AGI, and there's a million definitions out there, some of which are like God and others of which are much more reined in, OpenAI's is something, we could fact check my exact wording, but it's AI that can do economically valuable work better than humans, like all economically valuable work, I think they say. It doesn't seem like a crazy leap to think that we could get from like near expert doctor level to like legit a AGI on that definition with like GPT-5, you know, one more kind of good push up the capabilities ladder. I mean, good God, we just went from 10th percentile on the bar to 90th percentile on the bar with one generation. Like what's the next generation going to be? I don't know. And I think that graph, again, that shows the, the flip, the grokking of the hindsight bias kind of suggests that nobody knows, you know, the, the, this smooth loss curve shows, you know, 
apparently just ever so slightly, you know, better behavior on all these token predictions. But if you zoom in on that, what seems to be happening is that lots of little abilities are coming online. There's lots of these little unlocks every step of the way that aggregate up to that smooth curve. But individually, they're more like threshold effects where, you know, GPT-1 or ADA or whatever, like can't do the hindsight thing. GPT-3 is even worse. GPT-4 is perfect. So what else, you know, might come online in that next run that we don't expect? Like nobody has a credible claim to predict the details of the behavior of the next gen model. They, they can probably predict some abstract numerical loss function pretty well, but what that cashes out to in terms of actual behavior is I think totally unknown. So then I just kind of come back to why is a pause so bad? And especially for you, Flo, like if you think that there is real danger here, you're at a five to 10, you know, percent, like give, you know, give me your signing statement that says what you think we really should do, but like sign on to the letter, right? Five to 10% for a six month pause. That seems like I think you should be signing. Yeah. Um, I, I've considered signing. Um, um, I, so I agree with everything you just said about these thresholds. So that is actually one part of the concerns is like, GPT-4 does not prepare us for GPT-5, which does not prepare us for GPT-6, because these models are qualitatively different, and it's very hard to predict what they'll be capable of. So totally agree with that. Um, I am at a loss about what we should do. I, I, again, I don't think a pause helps. I think that historically, so far, with no exception, pausing technology has been a losing bet. I think that, to Anton's point, there is a huge human bias against technology against change. Uh, our ancestral environment is one where there has been no technological change. This is a huge deal. There used to be no technological change for hundreds of years, if not thousands. It's like your life was the same as your parents, as your grandparents, as your grandparents. It was millions, just the same. Millions and so, millions and millions of years. Millions. So change is scary. I'm terrified. Right? It's change is scary. And I think we're about to see the biggest one to date ever. Um, and humans have always fought change. And I think that a lot of the problems plaguing society today are actually a result of people fighting change and fighting technology. That happens time and again. And I, I, I think that on average, technology is good. I think the road is bumpy. Uh, Tyler Cohen talks about that in his article about AGI. It's like, yeah, you're going to get ugly shit along the way. But on average, over the long term, it's good. Technology is good. Humans mean well, and technology gives more power to humans, and more power to something that means well is good. That's really that's really that simple over the long term. And so, I, I although so to your point, there are multiple classes of risks, right? And so there's the existential risk, existential risk that's the Elysius camp, and then there is the other class of risk, which I agree with you. I am in the camp of we are seeing AGI emerge. ASI is not very far away, I don't think. And it is going to be something very powerful. And so even if you don't think that it is going to be existential, again, I think there's a solid chance that it could be, there is going to be civilizational disruption, 100%. Soon, I think in the next five or 10 years, because we are going to get, get AGI, to get ASI, and we're going to give it to every random person because of these scaling laws that we've been talking about. So every it's, it's like we're having a nuclear weapon or a very sharp knife, and knives on average are really good but they're also very sharp and you can hurt yourself. And we're about to give something that we've never given to anyone and we're going to give it to everyone all at once. So 
something's gonna happen. I do agree it is dangerous. Um, again, why not a pause? It's because simply because it is not gonna help. It may actually hurt more than it helps. Because right now, the one thing I care most about is do we get the first AGI right? That's the only thing I care about. Because if we can get that first pull of the trigger right, supposedly the AGI wakes up, and then it's like, you morons, never do that again. Uh, I am going to do what the safety community calls a pivotal move. It's going to do something drastic to make sure that that never happens again. Uh, it could be airstrike on NVIDIA, I don't know. Or it could be just patching the Linux kernel so that there's no matrix multiplication anymore, I don't know. But in my mind, that is, that is hope, right? So I am looking for, I'm looking forward to this first AGI. I'm looking forward to us getting it right. I don't think there's five bullets in the cylinder. I think there's one and there's a thousand chambers. So we're probably going to get it right. And then it's going to do a pivotal move or something like that, and we're all going to be fine. So again, I'm optimizing for that first AGI. OpenAI right now is in the lead. I think they mean well. I think Sam Altman's art is in the right place. So I would rather it be Sam than, frankly, Elon or China or anyone else. Right now, I like, I like who we have in the lead. And again, I don't think, so I think six months could hurt more than it could help. And for sure, it's not going to help because we've had 20 years and we've made zero progress anyway. But we also, so wait, we also hadn't created the systems that we now have that we now can study. Right. I mean, the I think the the sort of safety people haven't brought us anything of value argument is. I think by the Miri, like the Miri team, I don't want to put words in their mouth either, but, you know, the general sense coming out of Miri has been like, we don't really know what to do. We have not solved this. And now we're just kind of sounding the alarm because we don't really think we can solve it. I think that's a pretty fair description. But in their defense. You know, they and they, you know, Eliezer has openly said this too. Like, he did not expect that language models with their current structure would go as far as they have. So he was wrong about that. They've gone a lot further. You know, he also has recently said, I still don't think it's going to get to AGI just on this thing. But then he, but then he will follow that up and say, but I was just wrong about it, thinking it wouldn't get here. So, you know, maybe I'm not so confident as I used to be. So I, okay. Fine, it's fair to say they haven't really solved the problem, but the problem also just got invented. Like, that's where I think the pause does make some sense. GPT-4 has existed for six months. Nobody has access to it, you know, certainly to the weights, to, you know, to do any sort of mechanistic study outside of OpenAI itself. Um, you know, that's something that probably ought to be looked at and seems like OpenAI is open to that. You know, they've gone on. Uh, they haven't commented on this letter yet officially, but they, they're certainly setting up their own breadcrumbs for here are the reasons. And I kind of see those three graphs, you know, as as dovetailing very much with their commitment to third party auditing, to pre-registering their large runs, you know, to some statement coming about regulation. I just can't quite figure out, like, Who's harmed? What is the mechanism of harm? It seems like it could help. It could at least demonstrate we could do something. And, you know, six months is not a long time for mechanistic interpretability. But you look back, there's been a lot of great work in the last six months also. So, you know, I would expect more to come in the next six months. So what is the downside? To me, I, you know, does it seem like a full solution? No. But I don't see the mechanism where we are somehow worse off in six months than we are now. But I, I think there is this thing, I forgot who said, there is nothing quite as permanent as a temporary tax or a temporary policy. 
right? Look, look at the, the, the TSA, right? We used to have no such thing as a TSA, temporary thing because terrorism and now we'll start taking all shoes up at the airport forever, right? So that's my concern here. And I actually think that that would do a lot more harm than good because if we stop for six months, we're going to stop for 12 and 24 and 36. And before we know it, the first AGI that's going to emerge is going to be a bootlegged AGI that's built in some random lab somewhere in Russia. There's a relevant phrase, uh, I have a problem, so I need government to step in. Now I have two problems. <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So again, I, I, I'm, I'm worried. I think there is a risk. I think that there is no cure for the risk. And I think the cure that is being proposed is more likely harmful than good. From my perspective here, and I think this is a broader issue in the entire landscape of these conversations that are being had right now, is multiple things are being bundled together um, and all kind of sold under the one banner. You know, I, I re recently I, I wrote a thread on Twitter. I was sort of, you know, talking about Eliezer's specific thing about, oh, it's going to like email a DNA strand somewhere, it's going to get synthesized, it's going to make nanofactories, and then it's going to kill us all somehow. And I said, okay, well, this is a really implausible scenario. Complex plans expose themselves to more entropy, which means they have more likelihood of failure, regardless of how optimal your plan is to actually carry that out. And the counter arguments that I faced a lot of the time was like, well, he doesn't really mean that implausible scenario. It's just that we don't know what this thing is really going to do. So it could be anything. And there's two problems that I have with that. The first is like, okay, well, you know, we were talking about this specific scenario. You've now retreated. And this is like a classic Mutton Bailey argument, right? Like this happens online over and over again. It's like, no, we don't really mean the, the extreme thing that you've just shown is implausible. We actually mean some other thing, but we're not going to tell you what it is. The counter-argument to that, of course, is, is this thing that's encapsulated fairly well in security mindset, which is like, well, you need to remove as many assumptions as possible. But the thing is, in, from some perspectives on this safety alignment problem, you remove assumptions until all you have left is infinite degrees of freedom about what these things can do. Now, that stops you from being able to actually assess risk at all. If you assign it Essentially, you know, it's a dark wizard. It's Voldemort. It can conjure whatever you want out of the ether. It can kill all of humanity by emailing a DNA strand to a lab somewhere. You're not capable of dealing with the real risks. There is a perspective between eliminating assumptions until, until you have the bare minimum and eliminating all assumptions until you have nothing. And so what tends to happen is if you start thinking about real risk, you end up on this slippery slope of eliminating all assumptions about what these things' capabilities can actually be until you have nothing left. That's actually dangerous. That's dangerous if you are trying to reduce the risk from these systems as they actually exist. So now that this, this brings me to like the next point that I wanted to make, which is like, yes, there's, there's, there's like these two axes that we're really dealing with, right? One of them is power and one of them is danger. So uh, like you were saying, Flow, a very powerful but un not dangerous system sounds great. We love those. They're, they're fantastic. Um, a very dangerous but completely disempowered system, that also sounds really good because what that means is we have this thing and it's like we can poke it however we want and figure out how dangerous it is and it can't really ever do anything to us because it's completely disempowered, right? Now, the argument in safety circles is a... A very dangerous system will, and through things like instrumental convergence or, or other ideas, will like climb the ladder to power. 
And here I think is where we need to start introducing some real world assumptions about what these things can do. How is it actually possible for these systems to escalate, regardless of how dangerous they are, how is it possible in reality for these things to scale that ladder, to scale that ladder of being powerful or not? Because realistically today, we live in a scenario where even if this thing had penetrated every network in the world, had taken over every computer system that we have, there is nothing it could do to prevent us turning it off, right? Realistically, there's nothing it could do from us no longer bringing, bringing cooling water and power to the power plants that power its data centers and that's game over, right? So today, as the world exists today, there is a, it's not even an assumption, it's a physical reality about what this system requires regardless, like there's a, there is a bound on how much power it could in principle possibly have. And we have to start from these starting points and we say, okay, well, we wanna contain it more. Uh, or, you know, it's okay. It's, it's a, long time, a long time ago, and I think that th this is no longer a position, but a long time ago, Eliezer and others kind of said that actually a text channel is sufficient to like manipulate humans into doing whatever you want, because like a sufficiently smart system will either like manipulate cultists or whoever, and there's going to be cultists, but look, society, this is, this is the other thing that I always think about is like society is very robust to like kind of groups of slightly insane people. And we're pretty good at stopping them from doing what they want. So as a vector of like the machine's willpower, it's not, it's not a very strong one. As a society, we're pretty good at stopping small groups of people doing from, from doing what they want. Um, even, you know, and then you might say, okay, well, the thing will come up with an optimal plan and get humans to carry them out. We've kind of presupposed that humans are kind of dumb. Um, and if the complexity, the complexity of the plan is necessarily high, then it's like, well, you're now, you're now like dealing, you're, you don't have like this hard robot claw to like achieve what you want in the world. You've got this kind of like wet noodle that you're kind of waving around and hoping to get to where you're going to go. So fundamentally and this is no longer to do with the letter specifically although it it does address these the letter's vague indefinite pessimism claims where it's like oh it could do anything we want it like it could do anything at once and we can't predict at all what it can do it's dangerous it's dangerous both from uh, from a safety perspective to to think about this way because you're making no assumptions so it's like well you can't actually even begin to know how to control it so the only lever you have is not doing it well the not doing it has is is not an equilibrium strategy so you need to start thinking about like, what is the actual ladder here? What is it that you can do? Right now, the thing needs power. At the very least, it needs electricity. There's no way it's going to exist without electricity. By the way, aren't, aren't most data centers, like, didn't Apple announce, like, huge data centers that will just solder power-wheeled? Yeah, but then what are you going to do from just a solar-powered data center by sitting there by itself? Okay, but so then you agree. So then that takes up your argument, which is, like, so here's something really interesting, right? And this is actually well known um, in in the community when you're training or even running large scale ML systems. These things degrade without constant updates. Those updates have to come from somewhere. The reason that it happens is because when you're running thousands or millions of GPUs, even things like cosmic radiation become to be, you know come to be a very serious problem, right? So if you're just a data center, even if you're self-contained power wise. Right? There are so many other inputs that rely on humans providing you with those inputs that you cannot hope to continue to function if we just decide to stop serving them. But they're all robots out there. No. We have robot arms, we have wheels. We have all of that stuff. The problem is the software. We can't control them, but the AI would be plenty of software and intelligence to control these things. I don't, and this is, I think, really, this is the crux of the argument for the extreme version of 
you know, the, the problem with uh, artificial uh, 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 super intelligence, right? Do you believe that intelligence is enough to manipulate the physical world arbitrarily or not? I am very strongly in the no camp. But yeah, that, that's, that's kind of beside the point. The, the real point that I wanted to make is like actually... If if you start like if you use these policy interventions, if you believe that these are the only policy interventions available to you, and you're actually like blinding yourself to your abilities to actually deal with the risks, because you're like you're going with this strategy is like okay, everyone who cooperates, everyone who, like the good guys, right, the people who would agree to cooperate, they've decided to stop, so they can't really like they won't really evaluate these systems as they are. Everyone who's declined to cooperate, they don't really care about any of the safety pieces of the system. Otherwise, they would have cooperated, as you said. It's, it's, like a, it's a, almost like an adverse selection problem. I, if, if you think the crux of the, of the disagreement is, is intelligence alone enough to control the world, then that's, again, that's easily probable. I, I don't understand the counter-arguments. Do we have robots? The problem is not the degrees of safety. Look at the snake. Like it, it's very dumb. It's got very few actuators, and yet it can do a lot. Like I think, like the physical equivalent of Turing completeness. Like I have enough actuators to do anything I want. That's a very low bar. You really don't need a lot of actuators to do a lot of stuff in the world. We have robot hands. We have actuators. We have pick and packers and all of that stuff. All we need is the right software to control them. I I, I don't I don't agree with the premise here. Tell me more. Like what, what do you disagree about? Because. The reality is the modern industrial world requires actuators on the size, starting from the size of an oil refinery and going down to a scanning electron microscope. And with the reason that we need all of this vast array of things is because we as humans actually like the story of technology is almost the story of tool use, right? And every one of those sets of tools relies on another layer of tools below them. And if all you're left with is is like even human-like actuators, and by the way, look, if if, if the AI tried to take over the world with the with the robots that we have today, we're we're gonna be fine, um, regardless of how effective it is at using them. We're we're gonna we, we just need to wait about I don't know two or three hours, and we're good. Um, but the, even even if you had like human-level actuation, right? Suppose suppose that like the AI downloaded itself into my brain, and it could do that to like. A whole bunch of people, and it, like first, first of all, th th there's a trade-off again, and this is the same trade-off that comes up over and over again in my arguments, which is, human is like, in order to get all of these abilities and skills and things that we have, we're complex, and complex means fragile, right? Simple, simple is robust. Complex is fragile, uh, which means that if you had a system that was able to carry out all these tasks, it would also be equally fragile to to like, we would be able to deal with it because it's complicated, right? It would need to get energy. It would need to maintain itself somehow. It would need to do all these things. And as you and as you say, well, okay, as a super intelligence will be able to figure that out, a super intelligence will be able to figure that out. Now you're going up to this level of arbitrary capability again, which is, which is a difficult argument for me to accept. But humanity is complex and it's not fragile. I don't know. People, people die in dumb ways all the time. Sure. But when we're facing a human opponent, we can't be like, nobody's like, oh, like this is not a risk because they're very complex, hence they're very fragile, and so they're talking to disappear. Sure. But I'm talking about the ability to, to create these kind of general capabilities that will prevent us from shutting it down, right? Will prevent us from ever being able to act against it. Actually, look, I actually have, uh, there's a scenario that kind of does worry me. Um, in, in like, and it is kind of similar to the sort of things that some alignment researchers look at, look under, but it's actually more like we human, humans are relatively stupid in terms of aligning our individual goals presently with the overall goals of, 
us as a society or whatever your community happens to be, right? We're, we're really bad at it. Um, to, and to, to, to find this is true, try to like find all of the programs in the US government that are simultaneously funding something and then funding the removal of that thing. Because there, there are many. You know, subsidizing it on the one hand and then like, like trying to slow it down on the other. Um, we're not good at that. And I think it's possible for us to get into a state where the machine, for example, learns to fit our preferences. Like it, it's, it's kind of like it learns to fit our preferences so well that we never even try to cooperate to like get to the discontinuity, which will allow us to get to like the next stage of where we're supposed to be. Like we just, we just kind of hang out on earth and it's mostly pretty good and everyone's fairly satisfied. That's that for me is a type of risk that like the, the machines just gets really, really good at, at fulfilling sufficient amounts of human preferences that there's never any incentive to do anything else. And we just kind of heat death over here. Um, I don't know if that's realistic yeah. or possible. And, and Elizar talks about that as well. He's like, even if we align it, like we need to align it in a way that still makes it evolve. Otherwise, you know, I, I mean, I will, values as a civilization have evolved over the last few hundred years. Like imagine if we'd come up with AGI 500 years ago, and today we'd have an AGI that is perfectly aligned with the value of burning women at the stake because they're witches, right? So um, I, I agree that it's also a class of function. Um, we, it, I, perhaps this is a longer conversation. I, I, we, we all misaligned on what it takes to control the world. I think that uh, I, I agree with you that the safety community is calling for a leap of faith. There is a part of the argument that's like, uh, oh, you know, we get AGI and, th and then we get ASI and then question mark, question mark, and then we all die, right? And like, I, I, I agree with you. I think it's healthy to like poke a little bit into that question mark, question mark. Like, hey, what's, can we talk a little bit about like, the part before we all die? Um, and, you know, I, I, I really don't think it's that hard to imagine what happens in the question mark, question mark. It's like, nah, you know, like, yeah, the robots, like, what's wrong with our robots? <laughs> what, what, what's wrong with the current robots? They're really bad for <laughs> so bad. They're bad because of software. No, they're not the bad because of software. They're bad for so many reasons. Um, software is like software is one of the many reasons why the robots remain bad. Um, I think, yeah. Look, it is it is possible to imagine risks, and that. So this this is another this is another trap that I sometimes see people fall into, where it's like it's it's it's, it's easy to invent. It's like the opposite of the security mindset. The security mindset says, don't try to imagine defenses to like things that happen. Try to remove assumptions. And the, the opposite of this I see is like, okay, people start imagining so many different threats that they don't really think it like they're like, oh, this is an indefensible threat. This is another indefensible threat. Where it's it's almost it's the same thing, but almost in the opposite direction. It's like anti-security mindset in some way. It's like, oh, oh, you 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 like figured that out. Well, here's like here's like another thing. And if it has arbitrary powers, we don't know what it's gonna do. Um, it's, I don't know, in some ways, again, sometimes I, I, it's probably not true, but I really do sometimes feel like the person who's read the most like alignment and safety literature in the world and still doesn't agree with their points. Um, and I think, you know, in the last few days, I kind of started to feel like I'm performing actually a valuable service by kind of red teaming the, the safety and alignment arguments. So maybe this kind of works out for everybody anyway. Even if even if I turn out to be wrong, I at least make the arguments airtight for people like me and strengthen them. So, but even if we leave aside like the whole like robots debate and like, but by the way, I agree with you about the whole assumptions and like epistemologically, I, I view a lot of holes in the way we're going about thinking about these things. But like, um, again, so that if if we remove the uh, accident class of risks, we're still left with the misuse class of risk. 
surely having a bunch of AGIs, and by the way, I agree with your point too. It's like what you guys are doing may actually be causing more risk because you're, you're, you're removing assumptions or like adding assumptions about the capabilities of this stuff and you're actually distracting from the real risks. But are you then worried about that class of risk of like, hey, surely having a GI and having a really, really powerful large language model that you can scale horizontally to arbitrary numbers and giving that to everyone, that sounds dangerous. Would you, would you agree with that? Yeah, um, we sort of talked about this before uh, on the Roku uh, when he was when he was on this um, on this meeting as well. Um, and there's a class of things which are dangerous only, like which which are less likely to be harmful in the world today, only because the knowledge to make like to use them is not widespread, right? And so one concrete version of the risk that you're describing is like okay. So today, you know, today's language models can't really do this. Uh, although, and again, I mentioned this last time, I, I have gotten um, ChatGPT to help me design a neutron initiator, which is an important component in the making of a hydrogen bomb. Um, it's, it's what I do when there's long-running compute. I try to get it to tell me dangerous things. Um, I think if we have this little general-purpose reasoner, right, which is above human baseline. So it's, it's basically, it's like the, the, the model that I have in my head is like, imagine an automated theorem prover, but like it's generalized, right? And you can, you can like ask it to reason from, from certain premises and like you, you like give it some facts and you're like, okay, well, what can you tell me? Like, does this seem right to you? Because it's difficult for an individual human to reason, but this thing is like fully mechanized, fully self-reflective. It can do all these things. It's like a far above baseline as a reasoning tool. And if these things are widespread, suddenly, it's like this question of like, how do I kill the most people is like becomes more dangerous. Like you're, you're giving, you're giving this thing away as like something that people could use very effectively to plan things that otherwise they wouldn't have been able to carry out before. And, you know, there are definitely, there are definitely like thousands, if not tens of thousands of people out there who like want to kill you and me and everybody else here, like personally, not in some abstract sense, but they're like, no, that guy, he needs to be dead. Um, and, and, and this reminds me, and this is going to be terrible, but I hope you guys leave this part in. There's a Stalin quote, Joseph Stalin, which goes, <laughs> Eric, Eric's already laughing. I love where this is going. Um, <laughs> there's a Joseph Stalin quote, which says, ideas are more powerful than weapons. We wouldn't give our enemies weapons. Why would we give them ideas? And giving out this sort of general purpose reasoner to people who are conceivably our enemies does seem like a more dangerous world. But we then have to think about that class of problems specifically. It's like what before required a lot of knowledge to achieve now requires a lot less because we can just get the computer to, to like reason for us, right? I no, longer have to, I no longer have to get a PhD in, in whatever biology to like make something really dangerous. And even if it doesn't kill everybody, if it raises like the background incidents of of these kind of things if it gives these people more power that's that's to me dangerous that's a danger for sure but i think the issue is kind of like with any knowledge technology unless you can control the source of that knowledge which again for now these things are centralized they live in big compute clusters um i you know i contrary to florian i, I i'm not sure that in the next few years they're gonna get laptop size not the, not the good ones anyway like even if you look at like alpaca fine-tuning of llama it's like kind of okay it's not it's not really good it doesn't give you gpt three and a half the centralization there kind of you know lets you prevent or at least know what's being said how they're being used etc but the worry is is like 
it's like, okay, how do I, how do I make this thing that's possible where before I would need a PhD in chemistry or a PhD in biology or, or, but the thing that doesn't require a complicated biology lab or a complicated chemistry lab, it's like, what can I make my back, back backyard to do the mass casualty event? Cause I believe like the end of the world is nigh cause Eliezer Yudkowsky said AI is going to kill us all. Like that's, that kind of risk is a little more worrying to me. So, so, so it's good. We are finding common ground on like, okay, so yes, there is risk here. Um, the question is, uh, so then like, how many times do we pull the trigger? Like, does it run on everybody's laptop? Like surely on the limit, first of all, OpenAI is giving these things via API. And we have Nathan here who said, who said like, we ha I have worked for six months red teaming the darn thing and I'm still seeing risks that are not being patched. And OpenAI seems unable to prevent jailbreaks. We have like, go to like jailbreakchat.com or something like that. It's, there's, there's dozens of jailbreaks and they're still those, those, uh, unaffiliated, by the way. I just <laughs> I think it's a good website. Um, uh, there's, there's plenty of Not a paid so endorsement like... of jailbreakchat.com. <laughs> um, I believe we're going to have the creator on the uh, Cognitive Revolution if it's the same site that um, that I've seen. Uh, honestly, some really brilliant and borderline like interpretability work on that site as you you know start to think, geez, how does this actually work? I mean, it's really fascinating. Yeah, totally. So again, that's my point. It's like, we have these things via API. We cannot patch the jailbreaks. And also, you know, like, yeah, the open source community is doing a good job. And whether it's like one year, two years, or 10 years after OpenAI, at some point, they run on laptops because of Moore's law. And, and because also, of, uh, not even Moore's law, I don't know what it's called, perhaps Altman's law. It's just <laughs> inference. We, we, we find, we find uh, uh, 100x improvements to inference. So we've actually made inference 100x cheaper over the last two years. So, yeah, I, I think, but also there's a point that we're alighting here, right? We've talked about how such a system could create problems. We haven't really talked about, okay, now we have a general purpose reasoner. It could help us also reason about how we mitigate the problems too. And this is kind of like, this is my, so there's like the total doom black pill over here, right? Which is like, you know, we'll get to ASI without noticing it will be orthogonal in its values and, and seek instrumental convergence and like wipe out the human race. Cause we're not like, we're not using our atoms for anything it considers useful, right? That's kind of the instrumental, that's the instrumental convergence orthogonality argument, right? It doesn't hate us. It doesn't love us. It just wants to kind of, it needs atoms for the thing that it wants to do. And it doesn't really care about us either way. That's, that's black pill, absolute doom, whatever. Very rarely do we talk about the opposite side of this. Um, and there's, there's like the opposite. And, you know, there's the less doomy one, which is like the thing that we just talked about. We like give our enemies these general purpose reasoners. They all level up, they get smarter and they can do more dangerous things just because they're smarter. Over here, though, there's this thing like, okay, well, we have general purpose reasoners and we can spin up, spin them up on demand. That just like levels up humanity as a species in our ability to adapt and deal with problems way faster than we could before, right? Because not only, not only do we have these little general purpose reasoners, but by getting to use them and like interacting with them and working with them, humans themselves will understand how to act, like answer better questions, how to, how to actually use this tool. It's like, it's like programming with basically like copilot co without it, right? I've changed my style of programming because I use copilot and humans will, will change the way that we reason if we have a general purpose reasoner that we trust alongside us, right? It'll make us more adaptable. It'll make us like more able to solve problems and hopefully it will even help us coordinate. Because if you trust the output of the reasoner, which is obviously like in some way designed to be robust and unbiased and actually reflect the world as it is. And I think that there is a possibility of building them in that way. Uh, it will kind of help us 
help us overcome some of the coordination problems we have as a species as well. Because it's like, well, I don't trust you when you tell me that. But this thing has shown me how to reason. Like, and I kind of arrive at the same conclusion on my own. That means we can probably work together. And the absolute peak of that is that, okay, we've us and these, these general purpose machines that we've designed alongside us, which are designed for our purposes and which are like, for, 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 forget about control. Think of these things as a machine instead of, instead of an entity. If you think of them as a machine and suddenly we have machines that allow us as a species to do incredible things. They're perfect empirical reasoners about the universe. So as we develop new goals, as we continue to adapt as a species, as we seek new frontiers, we have like this system right alongside us, which amplifies our abilities so much and continues to help us amplify our abilities so much as we discover more about the universe that we're on a completely separate runaway trajectory and a, a very positive one, a very bright one. That's kind of my, my like best case scenario here. I agree, which was my point earlier about the average human means well. And so on average, raising the capabilities of humanity achieves good things, but still that leads to a bumpy road. So yeah, like you raise the capability for attack at the same time you raise the capability for defense, but at least over the short term, the problem is that uh, there is an asymmetric rule. It is uh, uh, cheaper to attack than to defend very often. And very often attackers adopt innovations faster than defenders. For example, in the case of cybersecurity, you're gonna have hackers adopting GPT whatever faster than every company and F500 giant dinosaur out there is going to adopt it to defend itself. So even though I agree that at the limit, probably we're going to be fine, probably as has always happened before, more technology means more good, I think there's going to be a bumpy road. I think like, we're going to have shit hit the fan a few times, and I think the next perhaps five or 10 years are going to be, are going to be very, very weird. I think weird is right. Yeah, we can all, everybody can agree on weird is uh, unavoidable at this point. Um, Except for those uh, denialists who I find to be acting the weirdest of all. But I guess I kind of want to ask you guys, like, a lot of people signed the letter, a lot of people with a lot of different views. Uh, certainly the most extreme of those views or the most, like, unsupported of those views are, like, not very well supported. I don't think we've been, like, cherry picking the bad, you know, arguments too badly in this case. But I do think, like, it's, it is kind of worth reining it in a little bit now to say... Yeah, you know, I don't think anybody has a great claim to authority on what the actual X risk is. Um, you know, Eliezer seems overconfident to me. I'm probably more in the flow camp of something like 10%. But then I'm like, but that's also kind of a total gut number that doesn't really, you know, for me, doesn't really have a strong claim on even being a number. You know, it's more like a mood or sort of, uh, I don't know, maybe just like the most I can psychologically handle potentially. So there's that stuff gets very extreme. The letter is not that extreme. It's much more like, okay, you know, I, I think I give him a lot of credit too, for just calling out like the tremendous upside. And again, I love this AI summer concept. Uh, have, uh, humanity can enjoy a flourishing future with AI. Having succeeded in creating powerful AI systems, we can now enjoy an AI summer in which we reap the rewards, engineer these systems for the clear benefit of all, and give society a chance to adapt. Are you appealing? Um, is your point to the appeal to authority of all the people that have, that have signed it? And well, no, just, it to, just to get clarity on kind of where they're at, because they're not like extreme doomers. They're not, you know, on net, they're not saying like, this is terrible for us. They're not, 
you know, saying GPT-4 shouldn't exist. They're just, they're, on the contrary, they're saying like, we just made something truly amazing and, you know, we should enjoy it. And, you know, we've, we've got a great, you know, AI summer in store for us. But there is still this big question of where we go from here. And especially in view, you know, they also quote OpenAI in their letter and say like, you know, OpenAI says a time may come for this. We think that time is now. It doesn't sound like OpenAI thinks that that time is super far off. Like, you know, I'm not a, a big betting person, but I would bet that Holden Karnofsky is going to be involved in setting up some sort of, you know, third party standards org, and they're going to partner with OpenAI and there's, you know, they're going to make a push for this. So like, it seems like we should update on what they're thinking, right? I mean, certainly the people that know the most about this, there's a lot more that they know that they haven't published. And they are not necessarily, they're not trying to close the door behind them, but they are saying beyond where we have gone, we think there's danger. We see that behavior is not easy to predict, even though we can predict a smooth loss curve. We don't know what that means in terms of discrete thresholds that we've reached or like, you know, specific behaviors that we might observe. And so therefore, it seems like going beyond this point, you know, we plan to proceed with extreme caution. We think the world should proceed with extreme caution. We think there will need to be some sort of regulation. So like, I don't know, it seems like everybody should kind of be able to get together on like, yeah, we're entering into some pretty uncharted, like pretty dangerous territory. The developers themselves are saying so. So like, again, why not just a little pause? Because a little buzz is never a little buzz. That's, that's my biggest concern with it. I mean, the letter kind of skirts this, right? But like, there is one question would be government regulation. But another question would just be like, do you choose to do it? You know, I mean, if I was running like Google, and I was, you know, on top of all the world's compute resources, like, I think the right decision for me would be to not, you know, scale up 100x compute beyond GPT-4. Because what OpenAI is telling me is like, they don't have great predictability. I know that I don't have great predictability. So, you know, what the government may make me do could be a distinct question. But, you know, for a handful of, of like key decision makers in the very few organizations that have the resources necessary to go past GPT-4 today, for those people, like, what do you think they should do? Like, it's just, it, you know, voluntarily, they can not go further right now if they want to. And, you know, that's kind of the start of the letter is we call on these people to not go further right now. You know, do you think they should, it's a separate question to say, should we force them to heed, the, heed that call? But maybe we could still say, we think they just should heed that call, even if we're not ready to like mobilize government to force them to heed that call. I still think it would set a precedent and the temptation would be to extend the call. I also don't know if you believe, as I do, that the performance of these models is mostly compute-bound, how far does the little pause extend? Do you also ask for a little pause from NVIDIA to, 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 to build more GPUs and, and from Microsoft to build bigger data centers and NVIDIA to develop the next generation of GPUs? Because if not, then really all you're doing is you're growing the compute overhang. And the moment you stop the pause, so you pause for six months, and the moment you stop the the pause, all of a sudden, boom, you bump up, you bump up to where you would have been without the pause. So that may be that may be even more dangerous. So again, I tend to deeply mistrust the instinct of let's pause technology, let's slow down. It's never been that well before. The folks who've said that have always been on the wrong side of history. And I think 
the upside, uh, Anton is right. Like we never talk about the upside of these this AGI, which is like this can be really fucking good for humanity. This could be a hugely positive deal. We've been talking this whole time about it's gonna kill us all. Like let's talk about the upside for a minute because it's it seems like we all agree that you know more likely than not it's going to be the upside that materializes. It'd be really bad to miss out on that upside. And I think there is totally a chance that we do. I think uh, we technologists assume that technology by default proceeds, but sometimes it pauses. By default, it pauses. It pauses. It's a miracle when it proceeds. And we've had precedents in history, the Middle Ages, when technology paused for a thousand years or two thousand years. And I really don't want that to happen. I think we're getting close to AGI. We have the right institutions now. We have the right setup. Let's let, let's keep going and let's and let's go after the prize. Nathan, another way of framing what I'm hearing from Flo and Anton is there's asymmetric downside to pausing. There's, there's, there's very low upside because what is six months really going to do? And there's downside that the six months then sets a precedent that it expends a lot longer than six months or an adversary catches up and doesn't follow the cultural or legal, um, you know, sort of rules that, that we um, set um, or, or some other uh, downside could, 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 could occur. Do you uh, differ from that in that you think that the upside is actually like we, you think we could figure something out in six months that that would that would really make it worth it? Or you think it's OK if it extends out or or where do you not see the asymmetric downside? Well, I, I mean, I just have radical uncertainty about what to expect. You know, that is kind the, of the, becoming... question is, the question is, where is the burden? We all have radical uncertainty. The question is, where is the burden of proof? And so is the default under radical uncertainty, don't do anything? Or is the default, uh, meaning block everything or just keep going? Like, where is the yeah, burden I mean, of like, proof? Right? Yeah. Radical uncertainty is just indefinite pessimism. Let's get certain about some things. Let's get certain. Let's make some good assumptions. It's what we should be doing as engineers. I certainly have a lot of enthusiasm for the technology. And I do think that there's tremendous upside in our near-term future. And like ultimately my position, you know, as a uh, member of the red team and all that stuff is like for all the crazy shit I saw and it did kind of freak me out. And it definitely has me convinced that this technology is not safe by default. You know, it's not like just easy to align, like none of the sort of, you know, most optimistic scenarios about AI safety seem true to me. Nevertheless, I do think GPT-4 should be deployed. It should be used. It will be great. It will have real downsides and harms, but I think those will be greatly outweighed by the upside. But I think it all kind of comes down to like a threshold effect. And I, I, I think I'm finding the most clarity when I think about this from the standpoint of if I were a decision maker myself, and it was up to me to determine, should I run a larger training run now than GPT-4. As we approach this threshold of potentially smarter, more powerful intelligence than human, I think I come to the conclusion, no, like I should wait. What happens in six months? I don't know. Maybe I decide to wait again. That definitely could be the case. Um, I don't think that's, you know, I don't think that's insane by any means. Um, and that honestly might be my most likely expectation. You know, again, I'm, I'm imagining here I am, you know, Sundar, I am Satya, I am Sam Altman. Like I would say, yeah, I probably, probably still don't know, you know, that I would feel confident proceeding in six months. Um, but, you know, who knows what we might find? We might find, you know, lots of great mechanistic insights. 
we might find, you know, we might find that China is amenable to a deal. You know, everybody sort of assumes that like China is going to, you know, create large language model AGI if we don't. I don't know what China is going to do. I, I have like, you know, scant uh, ability to predict. I did not anticipate. I mean, who has made the right predictions about China? Did anybody see them like reversing COVID policy from total lockdown to total free for all over like a weekend? I don't think so. So now we've got all these like, you know, AI derived China experts running around saying like what their technology policy is going to be. I don't think that's very credible at all. And, you know, they also like shut down their own video game industry and they like shut down tutoring. You know, I mean, they, they brought their whole technology. You know, Jack Ma hasn't been in front of a microphone in recent time. So, you know, I don't think that they are going to let the Sam Altman of China make the decision. And I don't, you know, I think they're going to want some better assurances than we've been given, you know, in the West that this is all going to be fine. Um, so maybe they're not going to go so crazy, right? Maybe they're going to see this danger and say, shit, this looks insane. Like, maybe we should slow down, or especially if then they could also point to, look, like, the West seems to be slowing down. You know, that would be really, you know, that would make it a lot easier probably for them. Um, I kind of wish we hadn't, like, declared chip war on them just as we're entering into, you know, an AI arms race. Um, some say that, you know, gives us a leg up in the AI arms race. I say, let's avoid the AI arms race entirely. So I don't know. That's my China rant. But yeah, I'm still, if I'm in this, if I'm in the CEO seat at any of these companies and I have the compute and it's up to me to say, should we do this right now? As we seem to be approaching some critical thresholds and given the level of predictability that we have, you know, I might resent it if the government told me I couldn't. But in my own private decision making, I think that the the wise, like prudent answer that's like pro-social is is real caution. And I think, you know, that can easily cash out to a little bit of a pause. I think in my case, it would depend on whether I, I see a roadmap from the safety team. If the safety team comes to me and they're like, we need a pause on six for six months, tell the capability guys to stop. And I'm like... Well, you're gonna do it for six months. Like, well, oh my God. <laughs> do they have do they have a plan? Do they have a roadmap? Do, do you feel like progress is being made? Yeah, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I think this is really we're coming down to this point. It's like stop being indefinitely pessimistic. Let's figure it out, right? Let's let's believe that we can actually figure this out. It's too easy to say. Yeah, it's going to have arbitrary capability as, as an adversary. It's going to be unpredictable where we don't know, like, because there are things about the world that we don't know acknowledge. It may know those things before we do and use those against us. Okay. But there's still that danger power spectrum. We're currently in a place where we control the power that it has. Uh, even if it was to be as dangerous as, as, as even the worst doomer says, we still control that lever, right? We still control how powerful it can actually be to act in the world. Uh, and that's probably the thing to be focused on if you're going to be working on real safety. It's like, okay, well, it's not thinking about like what coded messages is it going to send to like get people to let it out of the box. It's, it's literally what are the affordances that this thing has to to do things in the world? How do we lock those down? Um, you know, and it's like it doesn't have to be an air gap. Again, Eliezer did this experiment with Mary a long time ago where he like got people to to let him out of the box as well playing a super intelligent ai of course the actual conversations were never revealed unclear um but even that is like okay great so so you did that then, then what like we have plenty of ways to 
like prevent people from doing things in the world. The, our society is kind of predicated on our ability to prevent people doing things. Um, so let's sort of tackle the real risks. I'm actually, yeah, I think Flo's conception of it is pretty good here. Like, okay, six months, give us a roadmap. Why six months? What are you going to do? That's what, you know, then I would be more amenable. I'd be like, okay, well, fine. You know, okay, well, I can probably wait six more months till GPT-5, maybe. But it does, it does come with this risk. It does come with these asymmetric downsides. It does come with like, oh, shit. Well, I guess they will stop if we tell them to. Um, or it's like, oh, like all I have to do is 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 create enough, like, mimetic anxiety around the concept and then we'll have a moratorium like these are difficult these are not these are not things you get for free this is the pause is not free and there are things that we have to we have to grapple with i do agree that the pause is not free you know just to be intellectually honest about that like there is opportunity cost you know or foregone upside potential at a minimum that's one of the reasons that i you know i take heat on both sides of this because the most like strident AI safety people accuse me of being a hype man and, you know, cheerleading this technology that's going to kill us all. And then of course the, you know, the people that uh, want to accelerate, you know, accuse me of being a doomer. Um, and I do think it's important to kind of emphasize both sides because I think the, the reason the pause, at least in the public consciousness, I mean, you guys are, are obviously read into this, but in the broader discussion, people haven't felt anything from AI yet and or almost nothing like they've seen news they've seen a couple demos but like the actual economic impact the deployment is just getting underway so I really think it's important to emphasize to people that we have so much potential already we don't it's invented it exists you know now we are in this deployment phase and I really do think this AI summer concept is great. You know, we can have tremendous improvement, you know, tremendous, uh, tremendous gains to our standard of living to, you know, what the AI doctor for the global poor, I mean, it's, it's right there within our grasp and it doesn't require any new invention, right? It just, in, just requires refining what we have, deploying what we have, adapting to what we have. So, you know, we could do that in the next six months. We could be more ready for GPT-5 than we are right now. We, you know, deploying it at global scale and actually seeing, you know, what it does wrong, like seeing if they can patch my shit. You know, that's another thing I'd really like to know. I've got some tickets in that I would like to see patched and they've not been patched. So, you know, can can the developers, you know, demonstrate some improvement on the safety profile like that? That's part of the roadmap. I know they're working on it, but, you know, progress is not what I would hope that it might be. In the end, uh, you know, yes, I, I want GPT-5 too, at least the good version of it. Um, but sitting, you know, if I'm in that chair and I'm sitting on that compute and I'm like, am I going to put this, you know, potentially over this threshold with this next run? And, I, and then on top of that, I have to decide a number, right? I have to be like, well, how big is this run going to be? Am I going to go 10x more compute than GPT-4? Do I just say fuck it and go 100x? Do we really EAC our, you know, our way here and go 1000x compute past GPT-4? Like at some point I'm like, "Wait a second, I'm getting crazy. We haven't even deployed what we have." You know, like why do we need to create the next version when we haven't even understood or deployed what we have, which we know is going to be transformative. Let's uh let, let, let's wrap on this. This has been a great discussion. 
Um, Anton, you quoted Stalin earlier. It's it's no coincidence that Nathan was on the red team and now is uh, advocating for <laughs> government control. Voluntary um, pause. Just it's voluntary pause. If we can, if we can <laughs> just get a few stakeholders to agree, then the government doesn't have to do anything. Which honestly would be best. Yeah. Really, I think. I mean, I think that is a key point. You know, the I don't want to see the government muddy this thing up. Like that's not good. Yeah. But but key people can just make a call. And it's, you know, it's totally within their discretion to do that. And, you know, nobody has to, the state does not have to be a part of it necessarily. Yeah, no, that would be, a, that would be preferable if, if that, if, if there's going to be a pause. Um, this has been a great discussion. Flo, Anton, Nathan, thank you so much for joining. Appreciate it, guys. This is fun. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me on. Moment of Zen is brought to you by Riverside, the platform Dan, Antonio, and I use to record all of our podcast episodes with remote guests. Riverside captures exceptional audio and video quality, makes it incredibly easy for us to record conversations with multiple guests and then edit and publish within minutes. If you're hosting a podcast or often getting interviewed, use our code ZEN to get a 20% discount at Riverside FM. The link is in our description box. SecureFrame is the leading all-in-one platform for security and privacy compliance. SecureFrame helps you get SOC 2 audit ready in weeks, not months, and it's used by thousands of companies like AngelList, Coda, and Remote. I believe in the company so much I invested in it, and I recommend it to all my portfolio companies. Sign up for a free demo at secureframe.com and mention Moment of Zen during your demo to get 20% off your first year of SecureFrame. Hey everyone, Eric here. At Turpentine, we're building the first media outlet for tech people by tech people. We're the network behind the show you're listening to right now. We have a slate of hit shows across a range of topics and industries, from our AI and investing cluster of podcasts to shows that drive the conversation in tech with the most interesting thinkers, founders, investors, and influencers, like Econ 102 with Noah Smith. We're launching new shows every week, and we're looking for industry-leading sponsors. If you think that might be you and your company, email me at ericaturpentine.co. That's E-R-I-K at turpentine.co, and let's partner together.